Hey everybody, it's just me today. Since spoilers came out on Audible on Tuesday, I figured I'd take a minute and uh, kind of reintroduce um, my my third novel. Uh, spoilers was a funny one. It was uh, it really the original story ended up going so far afield from where the original concept was. I had never uh, seen that happen before in uh, in my writing. So it was uh, one of those where the original story uh, and the original characters. Uh, completely character-driven variants from where it started. Uh, originally, Spoilers was supposed to be like a uh, fourth column, sp- sort of um, pseudo-spy novel. A uh, group of people, independent, um, sticking their nose kind of where it doesn't belong, rooting out corruption, that sort of thing, until the bad guys kind of strike back. Um, and that's that's a, it was a pretty strong outline, but... Uh, it uh, never really worked with me because I didn't like it kind of was rough because I didn't like the idea of these guys purposely, you know, going out and causing trouble and then expecting the readers to have sympathy uh, when the people that they're going after come back at them. It uh, didn't didn't really flow naturally enough for me. Uh, kind of like those videos of tourists at, at Yellowstone getting launched into space by a pissed off bison. Uh, when they try to pet the damn thing, I mean, it's a, it's a freaking car with fur and horns and it it doesn't like people, but do you think you're in Yellowstone? You can pet it and it sends you, you know, flipping through the sky on YouTube. It's kind of hard to drum up sympathy there for me anyway. Um, instead what I came up with is I uh, put this team of detectives out there just doing their job, uh, normally in the process of, uh, you know, they're, they're dope cops. So they're, they're kicking in doors, uh, you know, working undercover stings, stuff like that. So they kick in the wrong door on one given day and they pick up, uh, you know, uh, a weapon that's not supposed to exist, a weapon that's not traceable, a weapon that uh, none of them have seen before. And along with that weapon, they, uh, they, they wrangle up, a uh, a kid that just happens to be very politically connected so those two things together i mean it's one of those things where before they're even back to the to the office to start the paperwork they've already got the political fixers and heat coming from everywhere including their own chief's office and just for them doing their job they didn't go out looking to kick up a hornet's nest but they didn't have a problem with it when they did the problem comes with when the powers that be come to push them around and try to make the case go away. And that's not the way it works in the real world. So they, uh, they push back an escalation, uh, until the fight's over on the last page. And it, it was a blast to write. It was kind of uh line in the sand, you know, you punch me, I stab you sort of mentality, which is, uh, I mean, that's those, those make the best movies, right? I, I can't quote, you know, Sean Connery from the, uh, untouchables, but, uh, you know, the guy what is it. The dude shows up at his apartment with a knife and he pulls out a gun. And then when he makes it outside, the other dude's standing there with a Tommy gun, that sort of escalation, uh, fantastic. And that movie's 30 years old. So if that's a spoiler, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling that I'm not taking responsibility for you. Not seeing untouchables. You should, you should have seen it. Um, but that was just the outline. When it came to what really got me with spoilers was the character development. And, uh, you know, my original cast all involved all of these people except one, uh, the rookie, uh, Mira. But uh, it started out with 
um, you know, the plan was that, uh, that Banks supposed to be the, uh, the, you know, uh, he's supposed to be the good guy carrying the, carrying the flag and all that good stuff. Um, and he did that, but he was nowhere near as engaging as the three female characters that jumped off the page when I started writing them. I had detective Poppy Montague. I had, uh, the rookie, uh, Mira Ross. And then I had uh, a contract assassin, uh, named Bianca, uh, who was so crazy. She was pretty much the, the uh, main reason that, uh, spoilers two came out, uh, where angels sing, which will be coming to audible sooner or later. But, um, it was those guys, the, those three, they, um, they ended up just taking, you know, my plot line when I do have a plot line started out as a nice, long, straight country road, ended up looking like Watkins Glen. Uh, just because these characters, as they as they started to work as a dynamic, uh, evolved within the within the plot outline and within the uh, within the engagement of the other characters, the three of them just kind of kind of took a just stole the show literally uh, from the rest of all the other characters involved, and and they really made the book a hundred percent better than it was originally intended. I was very happy with how it turned out. Um, my then editor and publisher, they loved it. Um, actually, Casey was Casey Sprayberry at the time. She said it was Clancy esque, which I uh, that was a good one. That was a that was a great compliment to receive. I enjoyed that. Um, and now you know, Chaz Mandala brought it out, brought it from the page to the spoken word, and uh, he did some amazing work uh, bringing all those different characters to life. It is funny though. I will I will mention this. So I mentioned that I had Poppy. And I had um, Bianca. They were part of the original cast. I got to the end of spoilers, where uh, you know the, it's all it's all going down. It's the final final big big fight scene, and I had kind of like chess players on a board. I had a, a thing going on, and I don't want to don't want to ruin it, but I had a thing going on where my good guys, of course, they're outnumbered, but I've got kind of a sequence of falling dominoes to show how they get out of it. Maybe maybe they get out of it. Right. I don't want to ruin it. But anyway, I got I got stuck with one place like my chess, my chess pieces did not line up. And so I needed one more character. And uh, that's where Mira came from. Mira, I got done with this book. And then I had to go back through because at the end I needed one more character because I was out of I was out of um, pieces to push around my chessboard, so to speak. So I had to go back in and write Mira into the, into the story. So she popped in. And just had to weave through the entire, all the chapters to have her own story so that people, you know, un, had a reason to care that she was on the page. She turned out to be almost better than all three of them. Uh, just so, just so I could have her there on the chessboard at that last minute to really uh, nail it, to really put the, put the last nail in the coffin to make sure everything, everything coalesced as it should have. And, uh, I, I have no idea how I got there without that. It was, it was kind of funny, uh, as I was writing it. Um, but yeah, Mira popped up at the last minute and, uh, she, uh, just the, the, the way I was able to write her in and, and just, uh, her character alone, I didn't uh, anticipate how, how, uh, impressive she, you know, as a character would be. I'm not saying I'm impressive as a writer. I'm saying that, uh, as she developed, as I was writing her story, it just got better and better as, as it went on. She just, uh, she was very easy to write and, uh, she was uh, a reason. And, uh, I'm going to have to revisit that at some point in the future. 
but yeah, so I wanted to, uh, now, like I said, it's going to be short today. I just wanted to take a minute and and talk about a little bit of how spoilers came about. I did. I will say that I wrote spoilers in the front seat of my car. Most of probably 90% of it. I uh, wrote that in the front seat of my car. Um, just come in before work and uh, I would sit in the parking lot in a dark car and prop it up against, prop the laptop up against the steering wheel. And I'd knock out my, um, my word uh, requirements for the day and go into work. Um, so I'd, I'd usually, you know, show up an hour before, before uh, things start happening and uh, sit there in my car. And uh, it's actually a very good writing space. Once you get used to how cramped it is quiet, nobody's there to bother you. No, no distractions. So it was very cool, but, uh, but yeah, it was interesting writing a book in the front seat of my truck. So I don't think that's how it's supposed to be done, but it worked out for me. So yeah, I wanted to, uh, add a sample here. So I'm going to throw a sample in of, uh, of spoilers. So like I said, um, spoilers came out on audible on Tuesday. Um, thank you very much. You guys have, you guys really, you know, shown a lot of support with that. A lot of gotten a lot of great comments, uh, especially about, about Chaz Mandala, the way he, uh, like I said, brought those people to the page, fantastic, uh, work. So thank you everybody for your continued support. And, uh, I'll talk to you later in the week and here you go. Here's a sample of spoilers. Max, Banks, and Viejo mounted rickety old wooden stairs, which cracked and popped under their weight. Thompson, after sprinting from the apartment perch, fell in behind them. In approaching the door, each member of the team covered a different field of fire. Viejo was on point, carrying a battering ram. The two patrol units pulled up in front of the house, and the officers dismounted to provide perimeter security. Viejo paused at the front door. Thompson locked eyes with a perimeter unit before turning and squeezing Banks's shoulder. In sequence, Banks squeezed DeGello's shoulder, who in turn squeezed the shoulder of Viejo. Viejo grinned. Police! Search warrant! Viejo yelled. When Viejo hit the door, the heavy iron battering ram struck just under the doorknob. The door was ancient, its brittle wood shattering under the impact. Viejo backed up a step and hugged the wall of the tight porch. Max charged the door and hooked to the right. Banks was second in the door and covered the left side of a small living room and set of stairs leading up that side of the house. Thompson smoothly cruised past Max and Banks and made his way further into the house. He and Max cleared room by room as they went. Banks held his position until he felt Viejo behind him, and they made their way slowly up the stairs. Police! they called at random intervals. Show your hands! Banks and Viejo mounted the second floor and quickly secured the upstairs. They reached the final room of the second floor and yelled, Claire! signaling they had found nothing. The two detectives looked at each other before filing back downstairs. Quiet in here! Viejo's comment froze in his throat as a sudden crashing sound rattled the house. Shit! Banks breathed. Coming down! he yelled as the two men ran down the stairs. Banks hit the first floor after leaping the last four stairs and landed with a boom on the warped old wood. He could hear breaking furniture and shattering glass coming from a room to the rear of the living room where they had entered. He and Viejo were steps from the doorway when two figures burst from the room. Banks was just a step too late for the first, but the second was just a step too late to get away. Banks threw his non-gun hand out and caught the fleeing suspect with a clothesline and dropped the man to the floor in a huff. Police! he shouted. Don't move! He locked eyes with the suspect, a kid maybe in his twenties. He was white, 
wearing checkered shorts and a polo that could only be described as the brightest orange he'd ever seen. Banks put the muzzle of his forty-five in the center of the kid's chest and ordered, Don't move! But he knew even before the kid flinched that it was on. The briefest of flashes behind the suspect's blue eyes telegraphed what was to come. The kid roared and swiped at the pistol. Banks yanked back to protect his gun and had to duck and block a wild punch with his non-gun hand. The kid scrambled to his feet like a cornered animal and took another swing at Banks before breaking for the rear door. Banks gritted his teeth and just before the kid was out of reach, lashed out with a front kick to the small of his back. The boost in momentum carried the kid off course from the freedom he was willing to assault a police officer for and he ran smack into the peeling paint and wood of the doorframe. The impact stunned the suspect and he crumpled to the floor, holding his hands over his face. Blood bubbled through his fingers. The kid moaned as he slowly rolled into the fetal position. "'I bet that hurt,' Banks said. He yanked the suspect's hands behind his back and handcuffed him as the kid howled. A quick pat-down revealed a quarter of an ounce of what looked like weed and a handful of pills he figured was ecstasy. "'You sit tight,' he told the kid, and left him to wallow as blood streamed from nose and split lip. Banks looked out the rear door to see if the other suspect had gotten away. He chuckled when he saw the kid, another white kid dressed much the same as his compadre except wearing a pink polo shirt, lay sprawled on his back as if he were in the process of making a snow angel. He looked unconscious. Poppy and Wilkes stood over him. When Banks looked at her, she shrugged her shoulders while cradling her car 15 as if she'd just found an abandoned puppy.